0: Aloha, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Maui, Hawaii. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. My name is Michael Benner, and uh, today we're going to talk about educating with humility or teaching with humility, and uh, I'm going to present this as a way of persuading and influencing people but also as a means of growing yourself spiritually, which is our bottom line every week in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School is to first know yourself and then grow yourself and then be an ambassador of personal and spiritual development, educating and influencing, teaching and training other people to do the same thing to know themselves and to grow themselves and to pass it on so teaching with humility or educating with humility as we'll discuss today is an alternative to winning an argument now even in school there are debate classes and we're taught that when there's uh, some sort of disagreement or argument whether petty or on the great issues of the day that the argument only has essentially two sides and in debate class you'll be assigned to take one side or the other or in our real life in affairs we have similar situations where we feel strongly about some issue maybe it's a social issue, maybe it's political in nature, it might be a matter of economics or education, it may even be religious, it may have it's mental component and often it's emotional or even spiritual components as well and the tendency again is to simply divide the argument into two positions, Uh, your position and anybody who disagrees with you. The idea that there could be a third point of view, or a fourth way, or a a fifth point of view, uh, that just doesn't occur to most of us. And if it's brought up, well, we're not interested, the more stressed and anxious and nervous we are, the more likely we are to see all differences as opposites. Now this is a crippling mentality. It may be common. Indeed it is. It may be popular, this simple bifurcation, this idea that all differences are opposites is very appealing to a high-stress person. And fact is, if you were in real danger, a true fight-or-flight situation where your very survival was at stake, that makes sense for the brain to have developed through evolution over the millennia. Um, This tendency to cast aside the the ability to the higher brain functions to deal with the finer points and simply see everything or nothing, all right or all wrong. So we lay right and wrong on top of the issue. Well again, the vast majority of our debates, our disagreements our arguments are not matters of survival. And so we should be able to see the finer point. We should be able to avoid the trap of simplistic, myopic, binary thinking and the, the, the dead end that comes from believing all differences are opposites. But it goes beyond that. I'd like to, in today's presentation, talk about what happens when the ego rises up as if it were in real danger and needs to defeat the enemy, even though it's just a matter of rhetoric, a matter of argument. Now, I'm pretty familiar with this because as a talk show host, I was trained and paid to do this, to emasculate, to eviscerate, to rhetorically murder my opponent, and do it on the radio for the entertainment of a great many people. And I got to be pretty good at it. And I justified it in my own mind by saying the the only saying to myself repeatedly when I would reflect on this, because I often felt bad about how good I was at humiliating people, I'd reflect on it and I'd say, well, you know, what are your positions? These are progressive positions, Michael. You're arguing against the war. You're arguing against racism. You're arguing against stupidity and ignorance. And so I felt rather justified for years and years and years in rhetorically murdering through humiliation, intimidation, and just making the person who would dare to call me on the radio um, feel inadequate and stupid. Because I said to myself in my justification and rationalization, well, they're promoting hatred and fear. They're promoting ignorance and stupidity. They're promoting war and violence and racism and injustice. And I'm the good guy. So... If I get to wear the, you know, if I'm wearing the white hat, then that's what I have to do. Well, if your purpose is to entertain, and that is what I was being paid to do more than inform anybody. It really was a show. (laughs) Uh, That's one thing. And um, we can debate that, perhaps in another forum at another time. But I'm using this to ramp up to a discussion about how to be more eloquent and more elegant and, bottom line, more effective in our teaching, influencing, educating, and training other people, because much of the problems that we face in this country and the world are indeed supported by ignorance and one could argue stupidity I remember on a couple of vacations over the years people calling one or another of my radio programs and saying insisting that they had a right to their opinion and I should be more respectful And my pushback at the time was, no, you don't have a right to an opinion if you don't know what you're talking about. If you're ignorant or stupid, if you don't have the facts or have little or no interest in the truth of a situation, then you give up your right to an opinion. I think that's still a pretty good debate. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty interesting debate to have. Do you relinquish your right to an opinion in a public forum if you haven't done your due diligence, if you haven't Googled the subject, <laughs> if you haven't read about it, if you're deliberately ignorant or stupid? And these words, you know, we throw these words around and we we really don't even know what they mean stupid is related to stupefy um, it's a first cousin to fascinated it, actually it's the deer in the headlights phenomena to to be stupid is to be stupefied to be transfixed into a frozen state you know the fight or flight response we often talk about is really fight or flight or freeze or faint freeze is stupid stupefy you don't know whether to go left right up down forward back you're just frozen in in the headlights like a deer in the road and yet we don't usually mean that when we use the word stupid we're usually talking about someone who lacks the capacity, or who has never developed the capacity. Similarly, the word ignorant tends to mean, in our daily usage, the same thing. But if you look at the root word of ignorant, it's to ignore. To be presented with the information, to have it at hand, here it is, here's the truth on this issue, And for whatever reason, you choose to ignore that truth. That doesn't mean that you lack the capacity or that this person lacks the capacity to understand. It means that for whatever reason, they've chosen to ignore the truth. Maybe they don't have the courage to face the truth. Maybe accepting the truth is shameful to them or puts their um, parents or other loved ones in a bad light, and they don't want to accept that, um, you know, the truth of the situation. I'm really not quite ready to start giving examples just yet. Nevertheless, words is about all we have, and what I'm... Appealing to you to do is consider that the best way to change somebody's opinion, to influence, to persuade, to instruct, or to educate is not to make them wrong, not to make them feel stupid or silly. humiliate them if that indeed was the best way to teach we'd use it in our schools think how uh, obviously wrong it would be if a teacher approached her students or his students by trying to make them all feel stupid or wrong because they don't know the answer If you don't know the answer to something, to a problem, if you don't know your history in history class, if you've never been exposed to geometry or trigonometry and you're in your geometry or trigonometry class, well, that teacher is there to instruct you, not to tell you that you're stupid because you haven't learned it yet. Right? That's obvious enough. In a school situation where children are being instructed, in most cases, they are not made to feel stupid. Now, I bet we all have stories of (laughs) of times when we were in school and we ended up feeling stupid. Whether somebody made us feel that way or not is debatable. That's pretty loaded language. You made me feel this way or you made me. Feel that way Uh, we've certainly talked enough in the past about responsibility for our feelings and we'll surely talk more about that in the future that nobody can make you feel anyway. People stimulate the feelings that come out of us and it's a fine point perhaps but a very very important distinction nevertheless just for the sake of conversation You understand that while there have been times when you were in school and I was in school that we ended up feeling maybe even humiliated or intimidated, embarrassed or ashamed in front of our friends for our ignorance, that's not the best teaching environment. And that ought to be obvious, that a child... Uh, isn't stupid because they don't know something they're not ignorant because they lack the information now if that's easy enough to see in school then why is it so difficult for us to see in the world with our friends and our neighbors and our family members who frankly need to be educated now I'm working from a premise that there are many, many issues that pass uh for political or religious or social uh, economic uh positions that are arguable, but which are merely supported by ignorance and fear. And they're not political positions. I'm sorry, but I don't care what religion you believe in or why you believe in a particular religion. The Earth is not 6,000 years old. It is on the order of 4 billion years old. And yes, there really were dinosaurs here hundreds of millions of years ago. And they disappeared about 160 million years ago and humans have only been here for 3 million years to continue to believe based on a series of books written by men books that promote slavery the Old Testament that um suggest that if you work on the Sabbath you should be killed and if you disrespect your parents you should be killed if that book also says oh and subjugation of women and I mentioned slavery and on and on and on we overlook those parts well maybe we should overlook the part that says the earth is only 6,000 years old you see maybe we should begin to look at some of these passages, whether they're inspired or not, as allegory and metaphor, and not take them quite so literally. Um, Evolution is a fact. It's not debatable uh, that, that the sun is the center of our solar system and the earth revolves around it. That the earth is round and not flat. These are simple facts. They're provable, demonstrable. Uh, We have a, a repeatable system called the scientific method by which we can prove repeatedly again and again certain facts. And yet we all know people in our lives that are confused by certain facts. You say, well, this is scientific. What about the other issues that are not so scientific? Well, the vast majority of Americans believe in capital punishment. Now, again, is this an issue upon which reasonable people disagree? No. Most countries have long ago banished and outlawed capital punishment to protest murder by allowing the state to murder is ridiculous. It's it's crazy. It's barbaric. And we have overwhelming evidence, and you can say scientific evidence, that capital punishment does not deter crime. And if people knew that it was not a deterrent, It's quite likely it would not be as popular as it is. So capital punishment is supported by ignorance. War itself is supported by ignorance and fear. It doesn't make things better. It's never made things better. People who promote war are wrong. All right. Does that mean we should never be violent? Well, that's an area where reasonable people could disagree. What constitutes real self-defense? What constitutes being a pacifist? Even you get six pacifists in a room, and they'll, (laughs) they'll disagree on what pacifism is. So there are areas where reasonable people can disagree, and then other areas that look like maybe partisan politics or some strongly held religious belief that is supported simply by ignorance. And people who believe ignorant things, like war is good, global warming is a fallacy, there's another one, people who don't believe in global warming. They don't believe that that human beings are influencing the climate in some very significant and terrifying ways. These are people that need to be educated, not made wrong. So, part of being a spiritual activist, of working for Change in the world, so what, what? What Andrew Harvey calls sacred activism is teaching from humility, which is instructing these ignorant people, these foolish, stupid people, with humility. And monitoring yourself, anytime you feel superior or above a stupid, foolish person, it's necessary, I would argue, to remind yourself that there's many things that you do not know. There are many things about which I am also ignorant. And with that sense of humility, be open to learning from people that you believe are stupid or ignorant or foolish and therefore wrong, even if we know they are. In other words, what if we approached somebody in our family, somebody that we love, but they're just really stupid, they're just really ignorant and they have no interest seemingly in the truth or the facts or understanding, they don't read you know they can't spell (laughs) once in a while uh, I was engaged this past week by uh, an anti-Muslim bigot and he spelled bigot B-I-G-E-T uh, should I debate this person right should I invest my time and energy in arguing with somebody that doesn't read as evidenced by the fact they can't spell it wasn't just bigot it was <laughs> a number of other things that they said that demonstrated their absolute ignorance well initially I did engage them with a few facts explain to them why this was not a Christian nation, but an American free nation. And the First Amendment, the very First Amendment, Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion. And he just ignored me and went on with his own simple argument. Well, we went back and forth a couple of times, and then I realized... You know, it's like that old joke about teaching a pig to sing. It just annoys the pig, and um has no capacity to sing. This person didn't want to know the truth. This person wasn't interested in really arriving at an understanding, in knowing the joy, the absolute freedom, and inner happiness that comes from truth which is, you know, that all Muslims do not believe in Sharia law. All Muslims uh, do not want a caliphate, caliphant. Uh, All Muslims do not believe a jihad is their equivalent of a crusade. It means killing heathens and non-Muslims. Any more than all Christians are members of the Ku Klux Klan. Or all Christians are Nazis and fascists because Mussolini and Hitler were Christian. Or that the Ku Klux Klan is a Christian organization. And yet, you know the feeling. huh? You know how difficult and challenging it could be to talk to somebody that would rather argue than understand. They'd rather be right than know the truth. They'd rather win the argument by trying to make you feel stupid and foolish, or just even a draw. Most stupid people will settle for a draw. As long as they don't lose, they feel they've won something. And they just enjoy the debate. Nevertheless, as spiritual activists says, those who practice sacred activism Much of our work has to be educating people, influencing and persuading people to read, to think, to understand. We have to approach that from humility. As if these people who sometimes seem even dedicated to their ignorance are really like little children and create rapport, what's the best way to teach a child but to ask the child first to show you something teach me something, kids go crazy when you do that right, and maybe you don't really learn anything from them, maybe you do but just to make the effort, show me, teach me something you see that creates the rapport, the heart bond necessary for them, then, in return, to open themselves to being taught. And this is what I mean by educating with humility or teaching with humility. Reminding yourself that even if you are more knowledgeable or smarter than the person you're arguing with, there are many things that you do not know. Whether this person is going to be able to teach them to you or not is debatable, but to create that that equanimity, it's not quite the right word. It's more than equanimity. It's a matter of seeing this person as your spiritual equal, if not your intellectual equal. That we're all, in terms of our inalienable rights, we're all equal before the law. We have equal rights. Human rights or civil rights are a matter of all humans being equal. Even though we're not equal in terms of our education, in terms of our knowledge, in terms of our intellect, in terms of our desire to read and to think for ourselves. uh, There's obviously a lot of people that have dedicated themselves to being stupid and ignorant. To them it's a culture. They don't want to know. They don't want to understand. They don't want to be reasonable they don't want the responsibility of thinking for themselves and yet still they are your equal and my equal is spiritual beings for we're all members of a single family sharing a single planet experiencing for the most part a single destiny And again, there are many things of which you and I are ignorant that maybe these very people could teach us someday. So do it for them. You're going to be better at creating a rapport, a bond, um, to be able to influence, to educate and persuade if you approach people that you want to educate or teach or instruct with humility. But also, you will benefit as well. For the belief that any one of us is superior to any other, on balance in some sort of spiritual way, In terms of the truth of who we are, the idea that any of us are better than anyone else is a horribly destructive mentality, not only for society, but for you, the one who believes you are superior. It should be obvious to thinking women and men that we have a serious problem in this country with arrogance. As I said before, the, the the individual that believes that they have a right to an opinion, no matter how ignorant they may be. Well, in, in many areas, I suppose they do have a right to an opinion, but you have to consider that in many other areas, they have relinquished the right, uh, to some extent anyway. It's not an either or. It's not an absolute. It's relative. It's a it's a matter of degree that to which we give up our or relinquish our right to an opinion when we're when we're ignorant when we don't want to know the truth. This is where the emotions come to play. In lieu of any mental approach, any reasonable approach. Religion is a great example, actually. Here we're talking about being uh, sacred activists, spiritual activism. And religion, you know, the first cousin of spirituality, organized religion, is one of those areas where people are often ignorant. How many Christians ever read the Bible? Most of them have not. How many Christians have ever gone but beyond the four books that the Emperor Constantine said would constitute the so-called Christian Gospels, and exposed themselves to the Book of Thomas, or the Book of Mary Magdalene, or the Book of Peter, the Gospels of Peter, or even they've even found Gospels written by Judas. And in particular, the Gospels of Thomas, which are older than any of the four Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, that Constantine put in, not for spiritual, but for political reasons. There were a good program running currently on the History Channel about the lost Gospels, and most Christians aren't interested. Constantine, in the year 312, for political reasons, said of the 50-plus Gospels, we're going to choose these four. Because I intend to use the Church as a political institution to consolidate my power. It it has nothing to do with what's spiritually correct. And so all of these mystical texts that talk about uh, Jesus saying that we could have a personal experience with the Father. We're going to throw those away. We're going to burn them. And fortunately, some of them were secreted away in jars and vaults, buried in the sand, and are now being discovered. One of them, just a few years ago, 2006, But as far back as the late 1800s, we've been discovering these Gospels. The big find, of course, the Book of Thomas was part of the so-called Gnostic or Nag Hammadi uh, Gnostic Gospels found near a little city called Nag Hammadi in 1945. You'd think Christians would want to know about these, but they don't. They haven't even read the original four, much less studied other religions. How can you be a religious zealot if you've never studied all other religions? And what happens? People who do study comparative religion tend to be more tolerant and more inclusive and more benevolent. And those that know the least know only what they've been told, are the most exclusive and the most arrogant because of their ignorance. And yet, we do them and ourselves a disservice if our arguments to them result in them feeling stupid or wrong or intimidated or humiliated. We have to approach them with respect. We have to treat the most ignorant people among us with dignity and respect and humble ourselves. I would suggest the simple technique is remind yourself how ignorant you are. Remind. So I'm going to remind myself on a daily basis whenever, especially when I get frustrated with ignorant, stupid people and frightened by the consequences of being surrounded by people that don't read, don't think, and have no interest in being well-informed. I have to remind myself that in some ways I am one of them. There are many things that I do not know and never will know or understand. It's just I think what I know is more important than what I don't know. (laughs) Because if I thought what I didn't know was really all that important, I would go out of my way to learn it and to know it. But that's my bias. You see? So, this idea of humility in approaching the need to educate, to instruct, as a way of persuading and influencing people. You have to educate people, (laughs) stupid people, people that are allowing our government, for example, to be plundered by thieves and pirates, by bankers and lobbyists, by narcissists and Mentally ill people, the people that gravitate to the centers of power in government and, and large corporations have mixed among them a few genuinely um, humanitarian types who 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 really want to do some good, but they're grossly outnumbered by those who are attracted to power for entirely the wrong reasons. You see this uh, in your average police force. There are some really good cops, women and men, who are police officers for the best reasons. There's just damn few of them. Many are attracted to the career of being a police officer for entirely the wrong reasons, because they want power. They want the power of the gun, the handcuffs, the ability to suspend your liberty, to uh, inconvenience you, to to fine you, to (laughs) imprison you. And you can tell by the way they walked and the way they talked. Who they are. And whether they're the majority or whether they're in the minority doesn't really matter as much as the fact that there are good cops and bad cops. And if you can understand it in that simple slice then you can understand the attraction in Corporations and financial institutions and in government. These centers of power. It's very appealing to your power-mad megalomaniac, to your basic narcissist, to those elites that believe they really are superior. So we have to do everything not to be one of them. Even though we know they're wrong and we're right we <laughs> we have to reject the the temptation that is held out by the ego by our own fear based self to ever think of ourselves as superior. We may be more knowledgeable, we may have more understanding in this area or that area, but that is best conveyed from humility, from an equal standing. Again, the way the best teacher approaches a student. You may be younger, and so I'm going to teach you what I know because I'm older and I went to school to learn this and also to be a teacher. But you're not stupid or ignorant just because you're younger and less experienced. I'm arguing that in in politics, in current affairs, that's the way we have to, as spiritual activists, approach the ignorance that surrounds us, the foolishness that surrounds us, the apathy. We're fighting fear. You know, and I have a little essay about this on my website. If you want to visit theagelesswisdom.com, click on the homepage to go inside, and then click on Wisdom Nuggets. Wisdom Nuggets are a series of essays. And you'll see one in there that is entitled um i think it's it's uh it's either good over evil or love versus fear or the difference between good versus evil or love versus fear it's a very important distinction because the classic model of good conquering evil you know, St. George and the dragon, the patron saint of England is St. George, slaying the dragon. That's good conquering evil, killing evil. The good guys killing the bad guys. The cowboys and the white hats murdering, slaughtering the guys in the black hats. That has to be replaced. By a more refined point of view, which is love vanquishing fear, which is a very different process. Good may kill evil, but love does not kill fear, it saves it, it redeems it. Love uplifts and transforms. The shadow into the light, leaving behind what is not good and saving what is. This metaphor found in the stories of resurrection and redemption in Christianity is not simply about saving your soul in a single lifetime it's about redeeming every bit of fear in your life every bit of ignorance that you will ever encounter in your life and in the lives of other people so we don't kill ignorance we educate it, we uplift it, we transform or in the alchemical sense transmute this leaden ignorance into the gold of light lead into gold this is water into wine this is consecration you see the spiritual activist is a transformer a transmuter one who uses love I would even say, wields love, bringing light to the darkness, bringing information and education to the ignorant, not killing them, not defeating them, not intimidating them or humiliating them, because you just make them angry, it doesn't help. You win the argument, the ego feels gratified, but you haven't accomplished anything. They are no wiser for the encounter. Unless and until we approach the need to educate our ignorant brothers and sisters. (laughs) It sounds even arrogant to say, doesn't it? From a place of humility, I'm stupid. You're stupid. How about you show me something, teach me something, and then here's another trick. Follow it up, a trick in the best sense of the word. Follow it up. Start by listening to the person that you want to persuade. Ask them to explain their position to you, and then you know the ignorant one that you want to transmute, <laughs> and then say, why do you believe that's true? And gently lean into them. Well, but why do you believe that's true? Well, where else have you read that? How was that reinforced in your life? How did you, what steps did you take to prove to yourself that that's a reliable position for you to take? And just gently use the why question. (laughs) why do you believe that is so? And then grant them the argument. You don't have to agree with the person to say, I understand how you could feel that way. You don't have to agree with a person to say, well, that may be so. Or you might have a point. But what you've done now, very cleverly, is opened yourself to an opportunity to respond by saying, well, I'd like to tell you what I believe is true, and I'll tell you why I believe it's true. You see? And if you lead with the listening, we've talked about this in parenting, the same thing in business management. How many bosses have you ever had that called you in listen to you right who listened first and parents will constantly complain about my kids just don't listen to me I talk till I'm blue in the face and I say well have you listened to them and their jaw drops and they say well who's the parent I didn't know I was supposed to listen to them. I can't just let them run the show. They're just stupid kids. And they're my children and no child of mine, blah, blah, blah. And I point out, you don't have to agree with them and you don't have to do what they say. All I'm suggesting is that you listen so that they feel heard and understood. They know that it's likely that your opinion will trump theirs. That at the end of the day, you're going to call the shots. You'll make the decision. But at least they feel heard and understood. That doesn't occur to most parents. It doesn't occur to most bosses. It feels too vulnerable to most people in authority. You know, I talked about cops a minute ago. Cops don't like it when you question them. Judges don't like to be questioned. Only the best teachers will allow questions. At a certain point, the teacher wants their authority to be reaffirmed and confirmed. Who's the teacher here anyway? Because I say so. That's why. How many parents have said, because I say so? Well, that's not a very good reason. You got a really bright kid here. All you have to do is give before you receive. And listening is a giving thing. Did you know listening is a gift? Think about it. One of the best things you can give to other people is to listen to them. You think you're giving them something when you talk you're not, you're taking their attention you're you're stealing from them when you talk listen, not always you understand my point though you're taking their time and their attention so what if you what if you earn that right to speak by listening first always listen first Always ask before you tell. And come from a humble place. Well, what do you think? Before I tell you about what I was thinking about today, I'd love to know what you think about this. That's giving so as to receive, that's planting so that later you can reap a harvest. It's give and receive. You don't receive and give. You don't harvest and then sow the seeds. Well, you do, but... in <laughs> the chicken and the egg, and has to start with sowing some seeds. You have to give before you can receive. You have to listen, you should, before you speak. And come from a humble place. And you will create much more rapport, much more empathy and sympathy and understanding be a much more effective individual at instructing people who need instruction and education but it'll also benefit you because it'll take you off your high horse and you may have to do that again and again and again I know I do and and I, I don't really do it that well I often find my ego sneaking into the driver's seat taking credit for being smarter than other people in this area or that. Not all areas, but about this or about that. Or superior to ignorant people in some way. It's very, very easy to do. In some ways, it's frightening not to do that. right? To realize just how ignorant and uninformed and apathetic people really are. In 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 a democracy especially that could be terrifying you know we're in like what four or five wars we're in perpetual war global war against a tactic the war on terror can never be won it's like the war on drugs why not a war on senior citizens oh now we have a war on labor and collective bargaining and human rights Perpetual war. And what are the anti-war demonstrations? People gave up. They got tired of marching. They got tired of being ignored. They've given up, thrown in the towel. Nobody marches anymore. That's an overstatement. Some people do. There are still protests. But, you know, 500,000 people. I went to Washington a couple of times in the late 60s and early 70s to march against the war in Vietnam. We had 500,000 people on two occasions, over a half a million people. Never been that many people assembled in one place for a political protest. And you couldn't get 500,000 people out to opposed the war in Afghanistan, which is over 10 years old. My God, the great world wars, one and two, only lasted four or five years. Now we have troops in some 35 or 40 countries. Military forces in combat? I can name six wars right off the top of my head. We're in combat right now, fighting in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Libya, and Colombia. You don't even know about that, the war on drugs in Colombia. And you've lost due process. You can be assassinated by your government. You can have your phone calls listened to and your emails read without a court order just because some bureaucrat decides to listen to you. You have to assume that all your phone calls are monitored, that all of your email is being read even if only by computers. And then if there's something questionable, it gets flagged. And if it's really concerning or there's a pattern, it attracts the attention of human beings. They don't have hundreds of thousands of people listening to every phone call. They have computers that do data mining. Okay. And people don't know, and people don't want to know. It's too scary. So, you know, we can write letters and make phone calls. We can protest. We can picket. We can boycott. We can sit in at lunch counters. We can do whatever we need to do. But we need to educate our friends, our neighbors, our family members, at least those that are willing to listen. And they'll be much more willing to listen to you if you're humble, if you come from a place of equality, and if you listen first and ask them how they feel. And don't tell them they're wrong or stupid or try to humiliate or intimidate unless you're getting paid to do a talk show that's what you want to do I, I got to the point where that got to be too embarrassing even for me and I, I, <laughs> I had to give that up or maybe it gave me up but in any event that's my point today so let's go to your questions and comments if I've made any sense here if you're on the telephone and you'd like me to unmute you press star 2 on your telephone touchpad or your Skype keyboard and if you're uh, listening on the web there's a text box in the lower left you can use be sure and hit submit after you type in your comment or your question Put in your name and your city and then press the submit button. And we'll start with the text, uh, comments and questions. First of all, I've got uh, in Brookings, Oregon, Bruce. And he says simply, aloha and best wishes to all. Thank you, Bruce. Carol Pastel in La Habra. Good morning, Carol. He says hello to uh, Doreen and myself. Great topic, she says. The greed and corruption has been running rampant for a long time, she says. It's surfacing out of the muck, and the truth will out. Yeah, I think that's probably true in time. You know, what's that saying? All truth shall be known? Well, Shakespeare had a version of that uh, Foul deeds will rise though all the world or them to men's eyes or some such thing. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. The question is, will anybody care? Right? People have been trained to feel powerless. Again, to find some advantage in being uninformed. I'll say it that way. Um, Someone here who did not enter a name says, thanks for mentioning Bradley Manning. Now if we could just get Donald Rumsfeld to take his place. (laughs) And aloha to everyone. Uh, Before we uh, began the recorder for the podcast, I talked about a coordinated effort to call the White House this Monday, the 28th, and express respectfully to the White House your desire that all charges against Bradley Manning be be dropped. Uh, I did that before I started the uh, podcast recorder because. Uh, By the time those of you listening to the podcast get this, Monday will already be gone. But you you can still Google Bradley Manning and find out the shameful, uh, shameful truth that the Obama administration has continued the policy of torturing. In this case, an American citizen who's been convicted of no crime, who's a whistleblower. We should have parades for Bradley Manning. And I don't care if my telephone is tapped, if this program is listened to and monitored. Um, you got to speak up at some point. Just unconscionable. So, if you're listening to the podcast, Monday the 28th has come and gone already, but at least Google the story. Educate yourself. Find out what in the world is going on that the military is telling the commander-in-chief the civilian president of the united states what to do and what to believe and uh... that's certainly contrary to civilians running the military which is the way this country was founded we're not even supposed to have a standing army if you read the constitution there's nothing in the u.s. constitution about a standing army. If there's a war and you need an army, you raise one, fight the war, and then take the military apart. That's what Eisenhower told us to do after World War II. And he was a four-star general. He was the NATO commander. And he lost control of the military in the early 50s. John Bowles in Pittsburgh... Says, Aloha, Michael. Attending this class causes me to think in new ways and feel better and better every day in every way. Peace. From Pittsburgh to you and Doreen. Thank you, John. Judy Kraft is with us in Southern California. Aloha, Michael. Open mindedness, she says, is essential to learning regardless of one's point of view. I've learned a lot when I've considered another person's viewpoint and even Changed my thinking about what they've said. And let's see. Judy, you sent that through about five, six times. <laughs> the same message. Uh, let's see. Who else? Patricia Vega in LA says, Aloha, Michael. Uh, more power to those few that stay in the midst of the insane powers that be and uh, are trying to do good. Thanks for a great class and everything you said. Phil Jaffe says there's a brand. He's in Canoga Park. Says there's a brand new Facebook page for supporting Bradley Manning. Bradley Manning Support Network. So click on the like button if you're on Facebook. The worst thing we can do is just let the government, or whoever is behind the government, the shadow government, continue to torture this guy. Again, this is an American citizen. No trial, convicted of no crime. Forced to stand naked. Solitary confinement. You'd think George Bush was still in the White House. Barnaby in Los Angeles, hey Barnaby? He says, I'm still a little confused about the difference between thinking and feeling. Sometimes it seems like they are really the same thing. We know our feelings are genuine compared to thinking. But you once said that mental polarization, well-reasoned thought, is far superior to emotional polarization or feelings. Also, what happens when you have family members who are ill-informed or ignorant or stupid, as you say? You can't argue with a sick mind. No, again, don't argue, you know? It's like the difference between force-feeding somebody and just putting the food down in front of them and walking away. If you listen to somebody first and treat them with dignity and respect, they're more likely to absorb at least the seeds of what you've had to say. You never know when those might take root and influence them a little bit down the road. Um, This idea of mental and emotional polarization is one that I may revisit in a future uh, program. Um, Both emotional intelligence and mental intelligence have their place. One without the other is inadequate. Um, It's it's that just as mental intelligence uh, is degraded, by too many thoughts emotional intelligence is degraded by unmanaged feelings so we need to calm our emotions and quiet our thoughts to extract the most intelligence and then integrate them in an orderly way so in the back and forth of emotions influencing thoughts and thoughts influencing emotions And that is a ping-pong game, it's a tennis game, it goes back and forth, right? Thought, feeling, feeling, thought, thought, feeling, 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 thought, feeling, thought, 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 feeling, 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 feeling. thought, feeling, thought, feeling. In that back and forth, before we take a well-reasoned, even-tempered action, We need to become mentally polarized so that the thought impacts the emotional nature. It's like grabbing the steering wheel before you step on the accelerator. If you step on the accelerator and start to move and then grab the steering wheel, there could be some problems. So it's the steering wheel first, then take your foot off the brake and accelerate gently, slowly and so it is with any other behavior in the back and forth of examining our thoughts and feelings remember we are neither we are the awareness of the thought and the awareness of the feeling we get to choose which thought is more appropriate uh which we we can agree with our thoughts and disagree with thoughts and change our minds we can also learn to change our feelings. People people talk about changing the behavior and changing their mind. You don't hear people talking about, well, I changed my feelings, but we can learn to do that with meditation and study. So mental polarization is superior in terms of the well reasoned, even tempered behavior. It's gotta be the the thought first, the steering wheel then the accelerator, the emotion, the energy in motion, and then the behavior. But if we quiet the thought and calm the feelings, there's intelligence in both of those places. Thoughts tend to be more objective about the world around you. Feelings tend to be more subjective, more personal. Okay, But both are forms of intelligence. I hope that helps. All right, let's go over to the telephones. And, uh, boy, time is flying today. I went longer than I thought I was going to. Star 2, if you'd like me to bring you on, unmute you. Go to West Los Angeles. And, Robert, you're in the Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hi, Robert. Aloha, Michael.
1: Aloha. Thanks for calling. Hey, great topic today. Thank you. I left a huge blurb at the... uh, what would be the news feed page a comment when you put up the uh topic for today i, I thought you're gonna I thought you were gonna talk about uh, uh well the topic is, is um uh, you know regarding uh spiritual teachings um uh, personal development uh meditation mindfulness training you know, things like that we've certainly seen uh, uh, problems and there're certainly Problems uh, on the spiritual path uh, when people become instructed and learn a thing or two and, and are moved and feel empowered. Their first—it's almost the first jerk within them <clears throat> it's almost spasmodic, is almost spasmodic—is a kind of um, evangelical zeal. They want to share it with people, especially if they've been helped. Sure. Um, Boo-boos can abound, though, uh, in the neophytes and, and the old-timers. Uh. But, uh, but but I said all that in the blur. One, two things I want to say, if I may, um, addressing two different things. One thing I find very interesting is you talked about hearing. So important, and if you just consider this fact that with the reptilian mind uh, mind's brain, the brainstem stem, uh, does not facilitate hearing. That capacity does not come out with the reptilian uh, brain stem. We only get that capacity when we get into the older mammalian brain. And this is a huge, just mind-blowing point because it's the older mammalian brain that comes also that brings about the capacity for caring and nurturing and even the elements of what you could ultimately call compassion uh which is the absolute prerequisite for what we would call enlightenment um this doesn't, the the reptilian brain gives us marvelous things like breathing and other stuff that we really need to have. Uh, but this this issue of hearing is uh, hugely important regarding this topic and it's connected to a level of brain, a a, a portion of the brain and thus an operation of mind that is connected to our you know, the highest forms of self-development, enlightenment, evolution, what have you the other point is um, you had a uh, text message from somebody who was talking about uh the polar what was it, mental polarization? Mental emotional polarization.
0: Yeah, I was talking I use that phrase, uh I got it from a book called uh, um corrective thinking by Lucille Cedarcranz and she points out in this book that most people are emotionally polarized. What she means is that it's our emotion that leads to a behavior and then we think about it afterwards right the well be better if we turned it around and the, started with a thought
1: what i would would offer would be this um, you know just as a suggestion uh, you know with nothing else to lose you know nobody a uh, person can look at this and develop their attention when when a person develops their attention and it becomes rather laser-like, they will notice that feeling and emotion are not the same thing. They're two distinct um, reflexes or operations that are connected but nevertheless distinct. Um, Feeling is actually a huge wad of information resulting from some stimulus with the outside world or even the mind that has not reached the rational mind. It has not been uh, converted into language or symbols. Um, Feelings do lead to a biochemical response in the body called emotions, which give us the ability to move. They give us the ability literally to act on the feeling, whatever it may be. Unfortunately, as you pointed out a number of times, um, we're not always skillful uh, in the way that we manage the emotion. We don't need to manage the feeling. because The feeling will tell us what it's about if we simply allow it the space and the time, and that's where the meditation comes in. But the emotion, the reaction, the 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 propulsion system that we're given to act on a feeling one way or another, uh that we do have to manage somehow. We have to have to bring bring in some uh some sort of, of uh technique for for which meditation serves as well actually because the meditation the concentration practice will actually enable a person to develop a space an interval between whatever it is that they're encountering and themselves as the awareness encounter it and that's normally something that most people don't experience there's just the the stimulus the the reflex within them they're they're all one event and they can be seen to be all one from a phil they can be seen to be one event from a philosophical point of view but in actual fact, these are distinct moments, and it's only when they seem like one that we we really we do things that, well, like the author said, we we think about later, and sometimes wish, man, I I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I could have that one back, you know, like the interception in the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> you know, <it's>, yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I think you're right. I'll acknowledge the point. In fact, uh, Carl Jung uh, had a variation on that. He, as I recall, said that the difference between a feeling and an emotion was that a feeling was a response to a value, and an emotion was a response to a conflict. Uh, I use the terms interchangeably. There are physical feelings and sensations, or emotional feelings. We call them feelings because they're felt in the body. Um, But there is an intuitive intelligence that's available uh, through the feeling from the emotion. Uh, It's just at the level that I, it's sort of like the discussions you and I've had in the past, Robert, about the nature of the self. And i I talk a lot about the higher self uh, uh the soul infused persona as opposed to the ego and you uh, uh uh often point out but ultimately there is no self, and I go, yeah, but uh I'm teaching intermediate, <laughs> not advanced, <laughs> and so I appreciate that and 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 value it and i I'm, I'm always appreciative of your input, and uh, I'm sure there are, are people I know, in fact, that there are people that uh, who've told me that they benefit from your input, and they really like what you have to say. I think they've often heard my stuff, and they want the more advanced stuff. Um, it, it's hard to be all things to all people, so... I really appreciate you pointing that out. I'll continue, however, having acknowledged the difference to confuse the two. <laughs>
1: well, it's such a you know, in uh, in defense of those who who tied that. I mean, this the, this idea of the self and the and the sensation that we're a self right. uh, is is the result of a really complex array of 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 things um uh, you know that constellate in a manner that that gives us this illusion of a self but you know in, in, everybody has had uh experiences in their lives which are very valuable fuel where they've actually watched that sense of self get knocked out of adjustment all of a sudden that that feeling of waking up being the same day that they've always been suddenly is a little bit skewed <laughs> not quite there and and we 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 try like hell to get back to the way it was and and you know we we surround our things with familiar objects and we we revert to comfort food and we do all sorts of stuff to try and get back to that that feeling that we've had of being the same self that we've always been, but actually the gold mine is in hanging out with the new, uncomfortable feeling for as long as is humanly possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, humanly possible indeed. You know, I'll admit, in the uh, in the 60s, when I was experimenting with psychedelics, I, had, I adopted what I called a tripping stick and it was a piece of wood that i picked up in one of my early uh psychedelic trips and clutched held on to throughout the trip and it became sort of a sacred totem for me it was my anchor into the physical uh, external world so that on future trips uh i kept it handy <laughs> so that i i i you know could sort of keep one foot through the doorway into the uh, try to anchor myself in the in the solid world of form when I went tripping off into these other dimensions of of different selves or no self or no thing and and uh, I don't know whatever happened to that stick it, I wish I had it now
1: <laughs> Hey, uh, all shamans, past and present, have utilized some means of anchoring um, while the you know traips about in non-ordinary reality right um it's it's a uh, breadcrumb trail useful tool or yeah you it's know, strings what whatever the case may be but uh it's the string of the labyrinth yeah you know one final thought before we go here you know the 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 idea of the self is so paradoxical you know the, the great <clears throat> Swami's and sages have have tried to uh to point their students in the direction of practice practice which will ultimately reveal the non self, the, the the fact that this the, the self is, is a kind of an illusion um brought about by a an unsteadiness of attention. Um, but and at the same time those same teachers have had great respect for the self simply because the idea, the feeling itself leads to um, the very capacities and characteristics that are necessary to go on to the higher development. It's such a paradox. It's like the ego itself. The ego itself, one of the highest functions of the ego is the simple ability to focus on one thing to the exclusion of all else. Well, as you know, that's a profound ability, and one that leads to the the rainbow bridge, if you will, or the pot of the gold on the other side. It's that ability to focus on one thing that brings clarity of mind, steadiness of mind, and concentration of mind. And the concentration of mind, which the Buddha tells us, leads to the bliss of the mind, the silence of the mind. That all comes out of the ego strength, the ability to focus on one thing. Later, we go the inverse route, and we go the route of total relaxation, where we do our best to relax the attention completely. But that's another step. But all these, the, the, my point is that the self, however illusory, the ego, however problematic, um are in fact evolutionary functions, which you know cannot be dispensed with. The, the idea of the death of the ego, for example, total misnomer, total misunderstanding. There's no there's no death of the ego while we're in a body. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, you can uh, you need it. You can drop uh, you know the, the 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 acid or whatever, and that'll bring about a cessation. For some time, as people have testified, and and you can go into uh, non-conceptual states of consciousness, which will uh, knock it out of the way for a while, or just cause it to disappear because you're not oscillating from future to past and vice versa. But eliminate it? No, not while you're in a body. It's it's it enables you it enables you to form the speech and enables you to have the conversation we're having at this moment. It's it's far too connected to our functionality to be dispensed with. And so is the sense or the feeling of the self. It's um, it's sort of like the the anchor point, the safe spot, in any venture we make toward the insecure zone. Sort of like a a child will move forward a little bit, experiences an environment, they'll come back to mom because there's a safe harbor there. And I'll go out a little bit farther and come back to my Well that's that's kind of the way we are at this stage in our evolution. And that then the, the sense of self or uh, the idea of self, even the concept, uh serves us uh in a way that stays specific. May become problematic elsewhere at other levels, uh, but um, those who speak in terms of it Purely always and forever being an illusion, or the ego as being something that uh, is detrimental, completely and a total negative, um, are incorrect.
0: Robert, thank you for your call.
1: Hey, take care, Michael.
0: Appreciate aloha. it. Aloha,
1: aloha.
0: Bye. All right, and um, let's step back to the uh, text questions. See if we have anybody that's jumped in since I was last here. And um, yeah, let's see. Tom Finn in LA has jumped in. He said, Thanks again for being there, Michael. Um, again, we're on the same tip or trip. He said, My redneck brother living in Fort Worth. Uh, just called three days ago to tell me that he no longer supports the death penalty it was a huge rift between us, he was in tears about a month ago I asked him to contemplate the most important issue that he believes in and write it all down and then with each issue replace the word believe with understand and then maybe we can talk and make some headway after that and Tommy goes on to say, you see, belief is so rigid and susceptible to breakage, understanding's always waiting for the next perspective to invite a new epiphany or a deeper understanding. And I hope that uh someday I'm only half as articulate as you in the meantime. Maybe <laughs> maybe my white trash roots uh is my base or may base i'm not sure there's a typo in there but thanks tommy (laughs) Um, you don't even want to know about my white trash roots (laughs) Um, scott in san francisco says hi michael a good topic Uh, how do we teach or share our intuitions it's one thing to be knowledgeable and share or teach facts, but I often experience intuitions and I can't find words to express, and I struggle to find facts which will support my intuition. That's excellent, Scott. He says, I believe my intuition comes from a reasonable non-fear or non-instinct place. Yeah, there's a very big difference between instinct and intuition that's for sure, hold on my screen refreshed and I lost this but it's uh, very hard to be convincing to others, I've resorted to teaching by example of my doing or living uh, but feel very disempowered by expression through words, aloha Shikha. well um, yeah I just think that's part of learning to um first come in touch with the intuitive intelligence of the emotional nature, the so-called right brain, that's the subconscious mind. And, yeah, you're right, we're not used to um, expressing ourselves. This is, I think, where poetry comes from. You know, poetry is not a well-reasoned argument. It's poetry, Um Prose is usually a, a reference to something similar, though it may not have the same structure or or rhythm or rhyming pattern. But prose is usually thought to be uh, some uh, somewhat more elegant than uh, some abstract, well reasoned argument. Finding the right words and learning to express your feelings is an art it's an ability some people perhaps are born with but everybody can develop whatever your natural inclination along these lines I certainly whether I was born with it or it was uh, trained into me favored my head over my heart had no idea what emotional intelligence was, uh, did not trust my intuitive nature uh, until I became interested in human potential and I started taking classes and seminars and using my radio program to interview experts and specialists and then um, going into various forms of therapy and workshops and groups and... Just taking myself apart to see what i could understand and even though it was scary the the results were always liberating emancipating i i I just got hooked on it i just loved being able to drop the bs and and in time i learned to express myself more from my heart this is uh This is what a bleeding heart liberal is. It's someone who feels strongly. So practice. One thing you can do is practice saying, I feel, as opposed to I think, and allowing your feelings to have whatever weight they will have. When we say I think, there is that, desire for a perry mason moment we build a case we're going to use our rational deductive thought processes our our reasoning to build this ironclad case and then the perry mason moment arrives some of you are not old enough to know what i'm talking about where aha it's so patently clear and obvious to everybody and you 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 obviously can't do that always, but you can appeal. You can learn to create rapport and and connect with somebody on a heart level and then just allow these heartfelt words to have whatever weight they will have, whatever impact that they have. And remember, it's more than the words. There is tone of voice. There's intonation, the the timing, uh, the the pacing of your words, the way you're breathing when you speak, your eye contact and facial cues, your body language. Uh, all of this is part of the way we communicate subjectively. The way we can learn to be better and better at communicating our emotional feelings and just. I would say just lay them out there and let them have whatever uh, whatever weight they will. You know? uh, Doreen's also saying hello from down the hall away. She's listening in, and, uh, and uh, she was talking about Rumsfeld and Bradley Manning earlier. She just forgot to put her name in. So I want to acknowledge Doreen and her participation and also Patricia Vega who's come back to say I love the conversation you just had with Robert on the phone if I was more articulate I would have loved to have joined in subjects so interesting please join in anyway Um, I'd love to have more of you on the phone Um, don't judge yourself as articulate or not articulate I'll help you I'm not here to again attack you or do anything but help Um, again we're not looking for agreement or even consensus we're looking for diverse points of view so I encourage all of you to participate the very fact that you're here you know the very fact that you're interested in a program like this while other people are watching DVRs of Desperate Housewives uh, <laughs> or whatever makes you quite an exceptional and extraordinary person so I, uh, I I think that says a lot it really does and it's sufficient whether you think of yourself as articulate or not um, don't worry about it please risk it take a chance jump in there alright that's about all the time we have it's uh, real time I've got 53 minutes after the hour that means I've got just a little more than 6 minutes left not enough time to do a guided imagery um, or visualization exercise so hopefully you can do that on your own when we conclude maybe just a little contemplation on the whole idea of teaching with humility, creating that rapport, listening, asking, remembering that even in situations where you know you are superior in terms of your intellect or your knowledge in a certain area, that there are many things that you do not know that you can learn from others, and that not only is the effectiveness or efficacy of the communication between individuals and small groups among small groups improved when we approach instruction from a humble place but the benefit to the so called self the benefit to you is quite extraordinary it'll um, it'll open you expanded awareness and much more contentment and peace of mind and joy joy, really if you remember that that egotistical arrogant self that wants the credit for being superior is not real and is going to die and all of your other stuff that you spent your whole life acquiring you're going to lose begging the question what will I retain and that would be your true self your awareness your consciousness which is not a separated self in any way not separated from anything all right? but part of the one thing And you can prove this to yourself you can experience this with just a little bit of practice with meditation contemplation And some study as well so read inspiring literature and uh, listen to webinars and seminars like this dedicate yourself to it Uh, attack fear wherever you find it whether you call it anxiety or stress or worry or doubt or nervousness refuse to accept it all right and it's not a matter of overcoming or conquering fear so much as it is a matter of just releasing it, letting it go, refuse to carry it forward any longer. And it's a little sticky, you know, it's like scraping the gum off your shoes sometimes. It takes a little while, but you just keep repeating the process. Fear is a natural condition of living in a separated body, in a world of separated form. But you don't have to tolerate it. You don't have to suffer it. You can continue to release it. It requires some study, again, some contemplation and meditation. But continue the practice. It's called a practice for a reason. It's not a destination that you, at some point, attain. Right. there's no there there <laughs> it's just a process to bring into the moment to bring the moment to the process how about that I want to thank you so very much for being here I hope you'll tell your friends about this there's a link at the bottom of every newsletter you can use to forward the newsletter there's a gadget on our website you can use to forward these podcasts or the podcast in this live webinar I hope you'll do that not just randomly or to any one of your friends but those that you know are looking for this kind of personal development and self-improvement information okay spread the good news and again Mahalo thank you so much for being here for listening and for participating As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha
1: from Maui.